It's already been a good day. Amen? Amen. So much to celebrate. So much to give thanks to the Lord for. We are continuing this sermon series on what did Jesus do? And I want to give you all a quiz. See how well you all have been paying attention. What did Jesus do? Can anybody tell me? What are, what are some of the things that we learned Jesus did? Jesus did what? Invested? Invited? And last week, Jesus interceded. All right, so some of y'all are paying attention, and not just the front row. So that's good, good to know. Excellent. They're, you know, they kind of have to pay attention. So it's, uh... Well, today we're going to discover that Jesus also got involved in the lives of those around him. And I want you to notice how interconnected all of this is. So Jesus first invited people into a relationship with God. We as a church do this through evangelism, through going and telling. And we have several go-and-tell ministries. Uh, the Who's Your One and Impact Your One campaigns we focused on this year. The gospel conversations and the resources we give you to do that. That's inviting. And then Jesus, those he invited and those who come into the kingdom of God, he invests in them. He pours himself into them. And we do that as a church through our discipleship ministries through Sunday school, through small group Bible study opportunities. We want to help teach people how they can grow in their walk with God. And then we intercede for one another. Just as Jesus interceded for his followers, we intercede for each other, for our church, for our our pastors, our deacons, our Sunday school teachers. We pray for the mission that God has given us. One of our church's core values is that we will be prayer dependent. We must intercede for each other. But, you know, we can't reach our neighbors and the nations, we can't disciple and be discipled, we can't uh, fulfill God's mission for us if we don't get involved. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Last week in Jesus' high priestly prayer, we learned that just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sends us into the world to continue His ministry of proclaiming God's truth, of revealing the name of God and inviting others to know Him and have eternal life. Like Jesus, we are no longer of the world. We are called out. We are set apart to be different from the world for the purpose of going into the world as salt and as light. You know, salt and light aren't effective unless they get involved. Your flashlight, light in that flashlight does no good unless you give it power and you shine it into the darkness. Salt can't flavor your food in the salt shaker. It must be put into the food to interact with the food, and that is what Jesus sends us to do right here in McDuffie County, Georgia, and all around the world. He sends us into the world to get involved. So today I want us to look at Jesus' example and discover how we can get involved in our world for the sake of the kingdom of God. And really, for Jesus, it begins with the incarnation. The incarnation is the ultimate example of getting involved. As Matthew one twenty three tells us, Jesus has had another name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the ultimate in getting involved. Jesus stepped down from heaven, entered into our world. He couldn't fulfill the Father's mission from a distance. He had to come down among us as one of us. He had to get his hands dirty and get involved. That's being in the world, but not of it. And Jesus sends us as his body, as, as representing his hands, his feet, his mouth, to go into this world and to continue that ministry of involvement. And that means that as important, as essential as it is to pray and to give, it is not enough. 
We know that Jesus was a, is a giving God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, He gave. Jesus is God's gift to us. Giving is important. Praying is important. We saw last week, Jesus prayed. But Jesus stepped down from heaven and got involved. And we must do the same. We can't just satisfy ourselves and say, well, I pray for missions, I give to missions. We're also called to do missions, to be on mission. So Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, he begins his ministry by preaching repentance and then assembling his disciples together. And then we see Jesus' example for getting involved with his ministry of involvement. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at verses 23 through 25 as we see Jesus' ministry of involvement described here. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News spread about him all over Samaria, of Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now skip over to Matthew 9.35. Matthew 4.23 is almost repeated word for word. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So those two verses act as a bookend for this first part of Jesus' ministry. Between the start of his ministry in Matthew 4 and in Matthew 10, the sending out of his disciples, we see this active ministry that Jesus is involved in. Remember how last or two weeks ago we talked about how Jesus modeled for his disciples what he was sending them out to do. This passage in Matthew 10, we preached, I preached on that, the Luke version of this two weeks ago and we talked about Jesus investing. And one of the ways Jesus invested is he modeled for his disciples the kinds of ministry he wanted them to do. So that's what we're looking at today, Matthew 4 through Matthew 9. And they're bookends by that, that similar verse. Jesus sends out the twelve to do the same things that he spent time doing with them. Now, what exactly did Jesus' ministry of involvement entail? First of all, teaching. We see in both of those verses, it says that he taught in their synagogue. So when Jesus would go into a village, he would start his teaching ministry in the synagogue, where he would take an Old Testament passage, like our Old Testament passage read this morning, Isaiah 61, and he would interpret it for people. And Jesus amazed the crowds with his teaching. Luke records one such synagogue teaching very early in Jesus' ministry. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. And he does take this passage, Isaiah 61. And he reads it. And he sits down and everybody looks at him and he simply says this, boldly proclaiming today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now Luke tells us that the people were amazed at the gracious words Jesus spoke. But they were also furious at the way he applied these messianic prophecies to himself. So Jesus' teachings didn't let you stay neutral. Okay, you, you had to pick. You had to either accept him and his message or reject him and his message. And the common people typically accepted his message. But the people in his hometown and most of the religious leaders and people of power rejected Jesus' message. But however you felt about it, there was no mistake 
that when Jesus taught, he taught with authority. He spoke with a power no one had ever heard. Some people thought that it's because he was one of the ancient prophets come back from the dead. Other people thought it's because he was demon-possessed. And in this section of the gospel, Matthew devotes three chapters. Between verses chapter 4 and chapter 9, he devotes three chapters to Jesus' teaching, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus likewise calls us to teach. He calls us to disciple people in the faith. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples, students, pupils, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus commands us to teach, just as he did. Now, we do that here at First Baptist Church through personal Bible study. We teach ourselves as we read God's Word and we provide resources like the Bible Project resources on our website and through Sunday school literature and other, other opportunities to help you to be taught and to learn and to grow in your faith. We do it through our small, small group studies such as Sunday school or our Disciples Pathway studies on Wednesday nights. Making disciples is a big part of our ministry of involvement. But before you can make disciples, you've got to do this next thing first. And that's proclaiming or preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus taught in their synagogues and he preached. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. Jesus began his preaching ministry with a very simple message in Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's a pretty short sermon. I don't know what you guys would think if I just stood up and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and just walked off. You'd either think that's brilliant or we're paying him too much. I don't, I don't know. You, you'd think one or the other. Come on, Dave. You've got to put a little bit more work into it than that. But that's what Jesus preached. That was his message. And then when Jesus sent out the twelve, he told them to do the same. In Matthew 10, 7, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we read that word preach and we picture in our mind what I'm doing right now, Right? And it's true that Jesus and his disciples did preach in the traditional sense. They stood in front of crowds and they proclaimed the gospel. But that Greek word for preach can also simply mean announce, make known, herald. When we sing, hark the herald angels sing, that word herald, hark the preaching angels sing. They're, they're, they're preaching, they're proclaiming, they're heralding the good news of Jesus. And that's something that every one of us as Christians is commanded to do. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That verse doesn't just apply to preachers. It's talking about all of us. We're all called to proclaim the good news, to have beautiful feet to the people in our lives that need to hear the good news of grace. We're all called and empowered by God to share that news with everyone. And we do that here at First Baptist, yes, through the preaching ministry of our church, but also as each and every one of us daily engage people in gospel conversations, as we hand them a New Testament or a, or a witnessing tract, or even as you share a worship service online, you're helping in that proclaiming of the good news. We can get involved and make an eternal impact on someone's life by teaching, by making disciples. And that begins with proclaiming the gospel of God's grace 
to those who are lost. But then there's a third aspect of Jesus' ministry of involvement, and that was healing. Now, the other Sunday, I explained how this ministry of healing uh, isn't commissioned to the broader church, to us today. Uh, He didn't include anything about us going out to heal. Miracle working was a specific ministry giving to the disciples at this moment in time to help identify them with the ministry of Jesus who was known as a miracle worker. So as Jesus sends out the 12 and then later the 72, he sends them out and he commissions them to heal so people will know that they are a part of this Jesus movement. But that being said, this part of Jesus' ministry is still relevant to us today. Because the Greek word that's used here for heal, there are several Greek words that, that are used for healing and curing. Uh, the one here is therapeuo. And you can imagine what word we get from therapeuo. Anybody have a guess? Therapy. Therapy comes from therapeuo. And so this Greek word means serve. It can be translated heal, cure, attend to, take care of, treat. It's the idea of helping someone recover their health, restoring them to wholeness and well-being. And in Matthew 4, we read where people brought those who were ill with various diseases. They were suffering pains, possessed by demons, people who had seizures or were paralyzed, and Jesus therapized them. That's kind of what that Greek word means. He therapized them. You like that? He healed them. He made them whole. He restored them to spiritual, physical, and mental and emotional well-being. Now, I want us to do a quick survey of Matthew chapter 8 and 9 and look at all Jesus did to get involved in the physical, mental, spiritual brokenness of people's lives. He touched a leper and made him clean, not only physically restoring him to health, but relationally restoring someone who was unclean and set apart from society. He merely spoke from a distance, and a Roman centurion's slave was healed from paralysis, not only healing this man physically, but but saving his life and returning him to productivity. Who knows what would have happened to this man if he had remained paralyzed? He would have been thrown out like garbage. Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law and cured her of a deadly fever, not only healing her, but giving Peter and his wife great relief, setting Peter free to be able to really focus on his ministry and not worrying about things back home. He drove out the evil spirits with the word, bringing spiritual, physical, emotional, and relational wholeness into their lives. Jesus spoke and calmed the stormy seas, showing that not only did he have power over people's physical health, but he had power over creation itself. He can bring wholeness to the natural order as well as the physical order. With a single word, go, Jesus commanded a legion of demons out of two men and into a herd of pigs. Jesus has power over the physical, over the natural, and over the supernatural as well. Jesus further demonstrated his power over the spiritual by forgiving a man of his sins and then restoring to him the ability to walk. He healed a woman from a 12-year-long illness that left her ceremonially unclean, again, restoring her not only to physical wholeness, but relational and communal wholeness as well. He raised a girl from the dead. So his power, it extends not just to the body, not just to the spirit, not just to the, the, the natural world, but into the grave itself. His power reaches into death. He can restore not just limbs, but life itself. And he gave sight to the blind and speech to the mute. 
Did Jesus get involved in people's lives? Did he? Yes. <laughs> Did Jesus meet the needs that he saw? Yes. Did Jesus make a difference in people's lives? What about us? Jesus commands us to do the same. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable. He says, uh, beginning in verse 34, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We are called to follow Jesus' example, the example of the early church, the teachings of the Bible from the prophets through Paul. That if we love God, we must love people who are made in His image. We must take care of the orphans and the widows, the poor and the aliens among us, the sick, the weak, the defenseless. They are our responsibility. Not the government's, by the way. They're ours, the church, the people of God. And I think one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in today is because we have failed miserably at this charge. James 1.27 tells us, that the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. It's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unpolluted from the world. Dr. Robbie Foster is the outgoing president of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board and pastor of Northside Baptist Church in Valdosta. He preached Monday at the Georgia Baptist Convention on one of these verses we're looking at today, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So I was pretty excited when he started preaching on that. I was like, I'm preaching on that Sunday. So I started taking notes. And he made the point that Jesus shows us that we must have a balanced ministry that includes preaching, teaching, and meeting people's physical needs and their emotional needs, and their relational needs, and their spiritual needs. We must be balanced in following Jesus' example as we get involved in the world around us. We can't just say, oh, we've got a strong preaching ministry at our church, and leave it at that. We can't just rest on our laurels and say, we've got such a great teaching ministry, we've got such great Sunday school teachers, and discipleship courses, and as if that's enough. Nor can we fall into the, into the trap that some churches fall into that think that if they just clothe the naked and feed the hungry and provide other social services, that's all they have to do. No. We must be actively involved in all three. We must strike the balance that Jesus did. Operation Christmas Child is a great example of this because it meets the needs of children through physical gifts, physical items that we're giving them, but it also proclaims the gospel and then offers an ongoing discipleship ministry. It does all three of these things that Jesus did that we must do. That's the ministry of involvement. Let's look quickly at the results of involvement. And I want to encourage you to go back this afternoon. It won't take you long. Read Matthew 4 through 9. If you want, you could skip the Sermon on the Mount, but don't. It's really good. You need need to at least hear one good sermon today. So read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew 4 through 9. And you'll notice the following results of Jesus' ministry. News of Jesus spread. People's needs were met. More and more people chose to follow Jesus. 
some people rejected Jesus. Now, it's important for us to remember this. Because even as we're helping those in need, and we see this today, even as Christians help those in need, there are some who are so opposed to the message of Christ, they will hate us and reject us even as we seek to help them. They did it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. And we also see the result that God was glorified. People were walking around praising God because of Jesus' ministry. So as we meet needs, as we share the gospel and teach God's word, we also want to see people come to faith in Jesus. We want more people to follow him. We want to see their lives changed as we meet their various needs. And we want to see God glorified. And yes, if we're doing it right, we're even going to see resistance and rejection by the world. And that is not only a result, but it's also one of the costs of involvement. That's the next thing we're looking at, the costs of involvement. Look at Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. Right here in the middle of all these miracles in Matthew 8, you have this little story. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now these are two of what people call the harsh sayings of Jesus. Jesus doesn't shy away, but is very honest about the challenges and the sacrifices associated with following him. On in Matthew chapter 10, we read this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The point of all of this is that Jesus wants honest, heartfelt commitments to him. You see, the first man here in Matthew 8 the, the, the teacher of the law, he was too quick to follow. He hadn't stopped to count the cost and consider what that meant. He was too quick to follow. But the second man was too slow to follow through. He wasn't ready to really put himself fully into what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus could detect the insincerity in the first man's request to follow him. We must commit ourselves to Jesus without reservation. And Jesus could detect the hesitancy in the second man because he also had not counted the cost of following Jesus. Now, what are some of those costs that we need to count if we're going to be involved in in the world around us for the cause of Christ? Well, things like being willing to lay down our lives, the things that we want to do, to forsake our fortunes, even if necessary to leave behind our families, especially if those families... Don't want to follow Jesus with us. Or they can't support us, maybe. And I think about missionaries that have to say goodbye to family and friends to go overseas for years at a time. And, and, and hopefully those family members are supportive and, 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 and a part of that ministry, but sometimes they're not. Our commitment to Christ must rise above all other commitments. We have to forsake our comfort for the sake of other people. For the sake of being on the move with Jesus. That was what Jesus meant by the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, you know, he was on the move. He was constantly going. To follow Jesus means we have to be on the move. We have to always be looking ahead to what does God have in store for us next. 
As Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what it means to lay down your life. That's what it means to carry your cross and follow Him. That's what it means to love Jesus even above your own family. What costs are you willing to pay? Are you willing to sacrifice something you want to help someone in need? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself so you can be a blessing to someone else? Are you willing to put your reputation on the line and face possible ridicule or rejection for the name of Jesus? Will you pay the cost? And I think that we'll be less willing to count the cost and to pay that cost unless we also see the need as Jesus did. And that's the next thing we look at here, the vision for involvement. Maybe we're not willing to pay the cost of involvement because we don't have the vision for involvement. Let's look at Matthew 9. We've already read verse 35. Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We see the world around us oftentimes through our eyes. And our eyes are blurry. Our vision's clouded. We don't see very well. We don't have 20-20 vision. But Jesus does. His vision's even better than that. I don't know if you can have better than 20-20, but Jesus does. I have to ask Dr. Bob about that. Jesus' vision is perfect. He sees things that we can't begin to see. We need to pray for Jesus' eyes. Jesus saw the needs around him, and he had compassion on them. It says he was moved to compassion. You ever been moved with compassion for someone? That's not just a feeling. That, you know, we, we all see things, and we, feel, you know, we see those commercials late at night with the puppy dogs, right? And we all, oh my goodness, let me get my phone, my credit card. We, we, we feel this emotion, right? That's not what Jesus, he didn't just feel an emotion. He was moved to compassion. Compassion is an act. Jesus was moved to the point that he did something about it. He didn't just feel something about it. And maybe we fail at being as involved as we could be because we've closed our eyes. We don't see the needs. How can we be moved to compassion if our eyes are closed? We ignore the harassed and the helpless. We, we, we overlook the distressed and the dejected. The unclean, the broken, those who feel unwelcome and like failures, we just, it's like we don't even see them anymore. But Jesus didn't close his eyes. He saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. And we know what Jesus does for sheep without a shepherd, don't we? He rescues them. Isn't that right? He invites them to heed his voice and to come into his fold so that he can be their good shepherd to supply their needs, to put their feet on the right path, to walk with them through the dark valleys, to protect them from the enemy, and to bring them someday into the Father's house forever. We need to have a vision like Jesus. When Jesus saw the harassed and the helpless, the lost and the wandering, he didn't see them as problems to be solved. He saw them as people to serve. He saw them as a harvest to be reaped for the kingdom of God. Now the disciples, see the disciples would look at the hungry crowd. They'd look at all the children being brought to Jesus. They would look at the woman who stopped Jesus in the middle of a crowded street and they saw problems. 
to be avoided. But Jesus only saw a plentiful harvest to be brought in. May we, like Jesus, open our eyes to those around us, to the world around us, and do what we can. Take what God has entrusted us and invest it into making an eternal impact in the lives of others. May we see people as Jesus saw people and be moved to compassion. Amen? We need to have the vision for involvement. And then finally we see the need for our involvement. Look at verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Imagine, the time is ripe. It's peak season. The fields are white unto harvest. It's time to go out there and get to work. But the ripe fields won't reap themselves, will they? Nope. If you ever had a garden, it doesn't pick, pick itself, does it? Anybody here ever pick cotton? I know my mother-in-law has talked about picking cotton. She was a little kid, and it was the worst thing she said she'd ever done. Cotton don't pick itself. Now, on my way down to Macon for the convention Monday, I drove through lots of fields that were full of white cotton. And I thought to myself, you know, somebody has to get out there and pick that. And if you don't get out there and pick that cotton, it's just going to go bad out there in that field. It's going to go to waste. Now, would that be the cotton's fault? No. The problem isn't with the field. The problem isn't with the ministry involvement. The problem is with us. The workers. We're the problem. Which is why Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray for what? Workers for the harvest. Pray for laborers to go out into these fields that are ripe for harvest. Now our church is involved in valuable ministries. We are involved in reaping some harvest. We're blessing children all over the world through these Christmas boxes and, and, and through our Christmas backpacks that we collected a few weeks ago. We help women who are escaping abusive situations through our safe home baskets. We help feed the hungry and clothe the naked through our go-and-tell ministries and through supporting organizations like MANA. We minister to international students and to tourists and to hikers on the Appalachian Trail through our support of Smoky Mountain Resort Ministries. We provide fun, safe family events for our community through things like trunk or treat and Easter egg hunts and upward basketball and vacation Bible school and drive through nativity. We come alongside young and single moms to encourage and equip them through Lily Moms. Through our partnership with HOI, we are providing community revitalizing help in Honduras as well as improving the economic lives, the, the, the health of families and teaching them valuable skills. We give away bicycles and help build wheelchair ramps and minister to foster kids and their families at Christmas and throughout the year. We help girls who are going into their freshman year of high school with clothes and school supplies through Wonderfully Stitched. And that's just a sample. We do that and so much more through our church. And these ministries happen. And these ministries were created because somebody saw a need and was moved with compassion. That's how each of these came about. And then that moving with compassion got them and others involved. See, these ministries only happen, drive through nativity is only going to happen because workers go out into the harvest field. And what a shame it would be for us as a church to let some of those fields just go to waste. Just go to seed. 
Will you pray for workers, for the harvest of souls, for involvement in meeting needs in our community and our state and our nation and our world? Will you pray? And will you be the answer to that prayer? Will you open your eyes and see the need and allow the Spirit of God to move you with compassion? And will you get involved? Will you be a worker in the harvest field? Jesus has given us a ministry to preach, to teach, and to meet people's needs. And I am thankful to pastor a church that believes in those three things. Let's not get uh, worn out. Let's not be weary of doing good, as Paul says. But let's encourage one another all the more, as Hebrews says, as we see the day approaching. Maybe this morning you are part of that harvest. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe Davis's example for you has stirred your heart that if a child can put their faith and trust in Jesus and give their heart to Jesus to be forgiven of their sins, what about me? Listen, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. If you understand that you're a sinner, you understand that the wages of sin is death, that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, you can cry out to Him. Turn from your sin. Ask Him to forgive you. And ask Him to come and live in your heart so that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to see you become not a sheep that's wonderless without a shepherd, not distressed and helpless. We want to see you come into the fold, into the family of God. And I invite you to do that this morning, right now. If you're here, I'd love for you to come down and pray with me. If you're watching online or listening on the radio, I pray that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. Let us know. Contact us. We want to help you. And for all of us that are here today, as believers, all of us listening as believers, I hope that this message has stepped on your toes maybe as much as it stepped on mine this past week. And to not let ourselves become complacent. It's very easy to become complacent. It's very easy to say, well, I packed my shoeboxes, I'm done. But the needs are all around us. And every day, Jesus is giving us opportunities to disciple, to proclaim the gospel, and to meet needs. Let's be the workers into the harvest field. There's more to pick. There's more to bring in. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for the people who have invested in our lives. We thank you for the people who got involved in our world. Those of us that are here today as believers, we're only here because someone saw our need and was moved with compassion. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, we will never run dry if we keep coming back to the well of your Holy Spirit to refill us and to replenish us so that we can continue to be that blessing to others. Father, I pray that you would send us out as workers into this harvest field. And if there's anyone here today that needs to be brought in to the storehouse of heaven, to be brought in to the family of God as a new believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that they would surrender their lives to you right here and right now. No excuses, no delays. Father, whatever you're speaking to people's hearts, may we be obedient, not just in the next few moments, but in the week and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as-